0: Chapter Thirteen of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Gray and Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Tom and Grace Sent to Trouble. The time passed all too rapidly, and with many expressions of regret on both sides, the judge and his youthful guests departed two days before the new year on account of the house party the phi sigma tau had been obliged to postpone until new year's day entertaining as they had done the previous year the stray high school girls who were far from home therefore the moment they arrived in oakdale they found their hands full mrs gray had been in california with her brother since september and the girls greatly missed the sprightly old lady it was the first christmas since they had entered high school that she had not been with them and they were looking forward with great eagerness to her return in february julia crosby who was at smith college had accepted an invitation from her roommate to spend the holidays in boston much to grace's disappointment who had reckoned on julia as one of the judges house party New Year's Day, the Phi Sigma Tau nobly lived up to their reputation as the entertainers of those girls who they had originally pledged themselves to look out for, but New Year's night the four girl chums had reserved for a special gathering which included the eight originals only. It was Miriam who had made this possible by inviting Eva Allen, James Gardiner, Arnold Evans, Marian Barber, and much against her will, Henry Hammond, to a dinner. "'Don't feel slighted at being left off my dinner list,' she said to Grace, then added slyly, "'Why don't the eight originals hold forth at Nora's?' "'You're a positive dear, Miriam,' Grace replied, "We have been wanting to have an old-time frolic, but didn't wish to seem selfish and clannish. "'Opportunity is knocking at your gate. Get busy,' was Miriam's advice, which Grace was not slow to follow." At last there are signs of that spread that I was promised at the bazaar, proclaimed Hippy Wingate cheerfully, as attired in a long gingham apron belonging to Nora's elder sister, he energetically stirred Fudge in a chafing dish and insisted every other minute that Nora should try to see if it were done. You'll have to stir it a lot yet, Nora informed him. But "I'm so tired, protested Hippy. I think Tom already might change jobs with me not so you could notice it was the united reply from these two young men who sat with a basket of english walnuts between them and did great execution with nutcrackers while anne and david separated the kernels from their shells the eight originals had repaired to the o'malley kitchen immediately after their arrival and were deep in the preparation of the spread long deferred Grace stood by the gas range watching the chocolate she was making, while Nora and Jessica sat at a table making tiny sandwiches of white and brown bread with fancy fillings. This spread will taste much better because we've all had a hand in it, remarked David, as he handed Nora a dish of nut kernels, which she dropped into the mixture over which Hippy laboured. I never fully realised my own cleverness until tonight, said Hippy modestly. My powers as a fudge maker are simply marvellous. jeered david you haven't done anything except stir it and you tried to quit doing that but no one paid any attention to my complaints so i turned out successfully without aid retorted hippy waving his spoon in triumph stop talking ordered nora and pour that fudge into this pan before it hardens at your service said hippy with a flourish of the chafing dish that almost resulted in sending its contents to the floor and elicited nora's stern disapproval how fast the time has gone remarked david to anne just to think that it's back to college for us tomorrow. it will seem a long time until easter replied anne rather sadly and still longer to us was david's answer oh i don't know about that put in grace who had heard the conversation i think it is always more lonely for those who are left behind Oakdale will seem awfully dull and sleepy. We can't play basketball any more this year on account of the loss of the gym, and we seniors are going to give a concert instead of a play, so there are no exciting prospects ahead. There will be no class dances, as we have no place to dance unless we hire a hall, and we never have money enough for that." "'How about the five hundred dollars the judge sent?' asked Reddy. "'Oh, we have decided not to touch that.' The money we take in at the concert will be added to it, said Nora. That will be two entertainments for the seniors, and we think that is enough. We want the other classes to have a chance to make some money, too. If we only had the bazaar money that was stolen, said Anne regretfully. Strange that no trace of the thief was ever found, remarked David. I know that my wrist was lame for a week from the twist that rascal gave it. "'I've always had a curious conviction that the man who took that money had been traveling around in the hall all evening,' said Anne thoughtfully. "'Whoever it was, he must have seen Grace deposit the money in the box, and he also knew the exact location of the switch.' "'One would imagine the box too heavy to have been spirited away so easily,' said Tom Gray. "'The weight of all that silver must have been considerable.' yes, it did weigh heavily replied grace still we had a great many bills, too in spite of the weight, the thief did make a successful getaway, and we owe judge Putnam a heavy debt of gratitude for making good our loss look not mournfully into the past, quoted hippy, but rather turn your attention to the important matter of refreshing the inner man. You fixed your attention on that matter years ago, hippopotamus, said reddy, and since then you've never turned it to any other direction which proves me to be a person of excellent judgment and unqualified good taste answered hippy with a broad grin more taste than judgment i should say remarked david this conversation is becoming too personal complained hippy excuse me nora use that irish wit of yours and lay these slanderers low i'm neither a life-preserver nor a repairer of reputations replied nora cruelly fight your own battles all right here goes said hippy now Reddy brooks and david nesbit i said that what you said and formerly have said to have said was said because you happened to have said something that i formerly was said to have said that never should have been said what i really said but what hippy really did say was never revealed for david and reddy laid violent hands upon their garrulous friend and escorting him to the kitchen door shoved him outside and calmly locking the door left him to meditate in the back yard until nora suddenly remembering that she had set the fudge on the steps to call opened the door in a hurry to find hippy seated upon the lower step a piece of fudge in either hand looking the picture of content the party broke up at eleven o'clock and the hard task of saying good-bye began the boys were to leave early the next morning so the girls would not see them again until easter don't forget to write called nora after hippy as he hurried down the steps after the others who had reached the gate you'll hear from me as soon as we hit the knowledge shop was the reassuring answer at the corner the little party separated hippy reddy and jessica going in one direction anne and david in another leaving tom and grace to pursue their homeward way alone as they turned into Putnam square grace gave a little exclamation and seizing tom by the arm drew him behind a statue of israel putnam at the entrance of the square Marian Barber is coming this way with that horrid Henry Hammond,' she whispered. "'I don't care to meet them. I have not spoken to him since the house-party, and Marian will be so angry if I cut in deliberately when he is with her. I am sure they have not seen us. They are invited to Miriam's tonight. We'll stand here until they pass.' The two young people stood in the shadow, quietly waiting, unseen by the approaching couple, who were completely absorbed in the conversation. "'I tell you, I can't do it,' Grace heard Marion say impatiently, "'It doesn't belong to me, and I have no right to touch it.' Hammond's reply was inaudible, but it was evident that Marion's remark had angered him, for he grasped her by the arm so savagely that she cried out, "'Don't hold my arm so tightly, Henry. You are hurting me. I am not foolish to refuse to give it to you. Suppose you should lose it all?' They had passed the statue by this time, and Grace and Tom heard no more of their conversation. There was a brief silence between them. Then Grace spoke tom, what do you suppose that means? I don't know, Grace was the answer. It didn't sound very promising. I should say not, said grace decidedly. I feel sure that Henry Hammond is a thoroughly unscrupulous person, and I shall not rest until I find out what the conversation we overheard leads to. I believe you are right, said Tom, and I am only sorry I can't be here to help ferret the thing out. I'll write and keep you posted as to my progress," promised Grace, as she said good-bye to Tom at the Harlowe's door a little later. Good-bye, Tom. Best wishes to Arnold. I'm sorry I didn't see him again. Good-night, Grace. And good-bye," said Tom, and with a hearty handshake they parted. As Grace prepared for bed that night she turned Marion's words over and over in her mind, but could arrive at no logical conclusion, and finally dropped to sleep with the riddle still unsolved. End of chapter 13.